Chelsea fans, welcome back to another edition of The Lab from Matthew Hart and Sam Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Holcomb. Thomas Tuchel's Blues made the trip to Spain and the neutral site venue of Seville, the Londoners' massive quarterfinal first leg match versus FC Porto, returning to the UK with the same smiling faces as last December. A brilliant Mason Mount goal late in the first half against the Rangel Puet, combined with a brilliant performance with Edouard Mendy in goal and a feel-good moment with the Ben Chilwell finish. So Chelsea earned an amazing gift of two away goals in the process of keeping another vital clean sheet to discuss the West Londoners' result, having one foot in the Champions League semifinal. I'm so excited to welcome back onto the podcast, Joe Tweed's mate. Our club has made it to the Champions League quarterfinals for the first time since 2014, and what an opening performance to give the team confidence moving forward in the tie. How's everything going, mate? Thanks so much for joining the podcast. Hey, Shane. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to come back on, and yeah, I think in the context of, I mean, obviously Champions League games are Champions League games, but I think in the context of what happened at the weekend, the performance, or maybe maybe the result more more so than the performance, had a little bit of extra, I suppose, spice to it, like kind of spice to it, yeah. So it was nice to see uh, both the, the the result, and I think in some aspects, some of the performance was, was pretty decent. But, you know, when you've been beaten 5-2 by a team that you should probably be beating 5-2, um, you know, the next match is always very important, and the the... the I think the the result, yeah, was 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 really significant, and obviously now we we go back to Spain to play the home leg, which is still still trying to get my head around the uh, the double home and away tie in the same stadium. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's good to be back on. Thank you once again, Tweets, for coming back onto the podcast. That's where I want to start today with, and I know it might be going back a little bit in Chelsea's week, but coming off of that embarrassing defeat against West Bromwich Albion, right? Thomas Tuchel talked about how important it was to bounce back from that loss on the weekend. So what were your thoughts leading up to this match? Because inside the club, after a pretty embarrassing performance, heads were down. There was, of course, some reports about bickerings in training. So what were your thoughts going into this match? And did you expect us to bounce back in the way that we did? Yeah, it's a uh, it's a good question. Um, I think when uh, Matt Law broke the the story about Rudiger and Kepa, um, I mean to me, it, you know, these sorts of scuffles happen very often at clubs. I think a lot more than maybe what people would realise. But for somebody like Matt to report on it in the way that he did, always suggested to me that maybe it was a little bit more serious than I think maybe you know than, than, than what the club are trying to let on. I think the way that Tuchel addressed it and sort of how it's subsequently been handled does to me suggest that it wasn't just an ordinary, you know, kind of scuffle in the training round. So you have that kind of moment. You've just been beaten, as you say, in a really sort of embarrassing fashion by West Bromwich Army leading up to arguably the biggest European game we've played in, in seven years, as, you, as you've alluded to. Um, the performances, I think, from key areas against West Brom were, were massively alarming. Um, I think in midfield in particular, were very poor at the weekend. Uh, you know, the, the back three, the, the front three, pretty much every, everything about the performance was anonymous or really, really poor quality. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that I was confident going into the game. I mean, my, my sort of saving grace is, and I, I, I will forget the uh, the second player's name, but Sergio Oliveira is a, is a very, very good player for Porto. And the fact he was missing, and I know they were missing somebody else, gave me a little sort of degree of comfort that we might have a, an opportunity to take advantage here. Um yeah, and I think, again, you know, we, we have tended to play well in kind of big games and big moments this season for the most part. So I was perhaps expecting some sort of, um, you know, response to to the sort of loss at the weekend. I think, yeah, heading into the game, though, I mean, yeah, confidence maybe for wasn't sort of an all, kind of an all-time high for me. Um, and I'd say, again, I mean, looking at the, you know, the, the players that, that Tuchel kept faith in, certainly the, the the midfield pivot, the double sixes, as he likes to call them, Um 
you know, I think maybe some other managers might have, might have made changes there. Um, and it kind of shows you, I think, Tuchel, his mentality and maybe the, the trust and the faith, the, the kind of faith that he has in his players to sort of maintain or to perform to the level that he is expecting. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was it was a tricky one, as I say. I think, you know, the defeat coupled with, obviously, the, the training ground incident, um, he didn't want to be one of those periods where Chelsea go into this massive dip. I mean, we saw it earlier in the season with Lampard, what was it, 17, 17 games unbeaten and then into the worst period of form that we've had in a, a really, really long time under any manager. So I was glad that we kind of, we, we, we went into the game and immediately bounced back. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't think I'm alone in saying I don't have an absolutely enormous amount of confidence in this group of players to always have the right mentality. Um, but I was very, very glad to be proven wrong, certainly with the, with the result, let's say, with the results uh, on Wednesday. And Porto began the game with a couple of good spills, right? Of course, highlighted by a brilliant shot of the bar by Mateo Saribe. The Portuguese let Chelsea control the possession for the first 20 minutes of the game. Then for a good 10 to 15 minutes, the Blues were really on their feet in their own final third. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because I think largely before the goal, I think Porto were the better team. And, you know, they had certainly lots of periods of, of, of sort of possession and, they were really, really clamping down on our attempts to build up play through the thirds. I don't know if it was a, it was a byproduct from from the weekend, but there seemed to be an awful um, kind of yeah, like an like an awful amount of, of pressure that they were applying on, on Jorginho and Kovacic in particular in midfield. Um, I think the thing that I noted was that, that we went long certainly from from back to front more times than I've I've seen under Tuchel in any game so far. There were lots of long passes, um, lots of long balls to try and relieve pressure because we couldn't play out from the back at all. But probably yeah, until Mount scored, and it's kind of then when you think, well, if we if we can't play out from the back, it, it's something that I've always kind of made mention to. Having a taller centre forward or having an actual centre forward on the pitch gives you that option to maybe hit them and, and go long a little bit earlier and actually trying to to retain possession. Um, you know, as much as people want to see the the fancy triangles and the really intricate passing out of the back, one of the easiest ways to beat a really high pressing team is literally just to play over the top of them. And again, as as much as that is a little bit, uh, you know old school for some people and a little bit too direct it does kind of change the way that they that they press if they realize that they're pressing you know relentlessly for 30 minutes and actually all we're doing is chipping the ball up over to Abraham or to Giroud and they're holding the ball up and then we're attacking you know their press is going to start they're going to drop off they're going to drop a little bit deeper because they've realized that we're not just going to play out from the back so yeah I think that, as you say the, the first kind of period of the game really I would say until until Mason scored um I felt Porto were not, you know, they weren't completely dominant, but they they had kind of the 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 build-up patterns from Chelsea fairly well, um, sort of under control in terms of how we were playing out. I don't think we were moving the ball well, and I think that that's something that Tuchel certainly alluded to in his post-match press conference, or at least the one that I've seen with with Chelsea TV. Um, that our our build-up wasn't great in the first half, so they kind of they kind of clamped down on that a bit, and that is concerning because I think when you do that, we we look like a very very one-dimensional team. Um, and then, yeah, as you say, I think the, the, the goal changed. And then probably I would say we had a little bit of a better spell towards the end of the first half. But going in, um, you know, 1-0 up, I think the, you know, we had 0.05 XG at halftime to give the context of how few chances you know, we actually created and how difficult Mason's chance was actually to score as well. So the fact that, again, we've gone into half half time with, with a goal lead. Um, I think Porto were like 0.95. So I mean, Porto had a couple of big chances from memory. Um, a couple of them that they just sort of flashed over and flashed wide. And obviously Mason has scored a ridiculous goal, but heading into half time with a one uh, one goal lead, I think you know Tuka would have been really happy with the with the uh, with the goal and with the uh, with the result at that time. 
but I could certainly tell for the performance and certainly the way that he he was after the game, you can you can definitely see that he wasn't uh, super pleased with with that first half performance from Chelsea. I mean, the Blues have been in trouble this season. Chelsea's player of the season had a response, right? Mason Mount, and that's been a reoccurring theme over the past couple of months. He scored his actually surprisingly his first Champions League goal in style, like you mentioned with the brilliant turn. Struck it to the bottom of Porto's goal to get Chelsea a massive away goal against, like you mentioned, the run of play. But going back to that Tuchel point, I think this shows just how brilliant he's been starting off games pretty well, right? I know that maybe the run of play wasn't going our favor, but he's still getting the first goal. I mean, you know how important the first goal is in our games. That West Brom game was an anomaly of getting the first goal and getting absolutely blown out. I think Tuchel is probably the games that we've won. He's gotten that first goal. Getting into halftime also with the lead, we saw just how thin, how quickly things can change just last weekend when you can see two right before halftime. It's a totally different game plan going into the second half. So I think that getting that one no lead heading into the break really helped him going forward. Like you mentioned, I think the youth stepped up a lot. Reese James, he put a lot of balls over the top, but also I think Andreas Christensen, I really saw performance in that back three. But now I want to move on to the goalkeeper and Edward Mendy because I think he was Chelsea's man of the match. I haven't really seen a lot of shouts for him for man of the match, but you're looking at his stats. He has five saves inside the box, two high claims, one really big one from an early Porto corner that I think he talked about a little bit earlier where one of the Porto guys kind of caught him out. It sort of brought me flashbacks from that goal that Ajax scored Hakim Ziyech last October at Stanford Bridge, but this one didn't go into the back of the net this time. But also, you mentioned that we were playing a lot of balls over the top, and even though Kai Havertz was there instead of Olivier Giroud or Tam Abraham, I think Mendy, accuracy-wise, is really improving when those long balls to hold up play. But once again, he's a key figure in us getting another clean sheet going forward, and he was a big part to our win yesterday. Yes, some, some really good points there, Shane. Um, you know, I I wouldn't be surprised if we saw, well, I mean, at least in my head, I think Edouard Mende has an outside chance at least of being Chelsea's player of the season. And that, that's nothing against Mason Mount or whoever else you might have as a, as a candidate. Um, I just think the the effect that he has had on this team, um, you know, wider than, than the Porto game, is is so transformative. You know, I think he's, he's got a safe percentage of about 85%, or it's, it's, in, it's in the 80s, definitely. Um, compared to Kepa last season, which was basically every other shot was a goal um, in terms of his his save percentage. And I think to have someone of that sort of quality behind them, size as well, you know, he, I think he's a large reason why the defence this season has looked so much better. Um, you know, he is, I think, a calming presence, a calming influence behind the, the goal. And, you know, I, I've talked to, you know, a couple of, of people who have played sort of centre-half, either semi-professionally or professionally, and they often tell me that they there's, there's almost kind of like a, a subconscious level of confidence in terms of how you play when you've got a good goalkeeper behind you. It sort of it kind of causes the the team to grow in terms of mindset. Um, you know, you're it, it's more like you're you're less likely to to worry about making a tiny mistake. You know, and actually being able to play your game on, on a more kind of natural um, sort of basis. Um, and I think when I look at certainly the the, the performances of guys like Christensen and, and Rudiger, who's really improved under Tuchel. Um, even Aspi, who is just, you know, standard Aspi standard, you know, it's just a, a constant seven out of 10 every week, which is fantastic. I think Mendy's had a massive, massive impact on this. And I think, again, when you, you know, when you specifically look into the Porto game, you know, the difference between, I don't want to say the difference between Mendy and Kepa, but maybe the difference between, or the difference that Mendy has, has sort of given to the team, both in terms of his ability to, to command his area, that confidence that he gives, I think where Mendy is separating himself from others that we've, we've seen, 
um, is that he's coming up with some sort of big moments as well. He's coming up with some big individual saves. It's his, it wouldn't surprise me if he was a player's player. So when the players vote, it wouldn't surprise me if he is close to being one of the front runners for that sort of award. Looking at his Champions League stats, I mean, they're just absolutely brewing. He's played in eight matches in the Champions League, and he's only conceded one goal, and that was to Ren, his former club. He's kept seven other clean sheets in the Champions League, the highest level in Europe, and you're keeping clean sheets in every single match. It just goes to show, I think he's improving a little bit on the ball. I talked a little bit about his accurate passes. Yeah. I think that helped us also in this game, right, because – our center backs are still kind of improving, passing out from the back, but Mendy is able to put that long ball over the top. He's still a little bit hesitant to put that ball over the top instead of put it short, but he's getting better at the accuracy-wise of it. And the likes of Kai Havertz, Sammy Abraham, Olivier Giroud, his tall strikers, they help him along that process. But I want to go back to Mason Mount because I think that his character – but also his leadership is now really showing in this Chelsea team, right? We saw a couple of weeks ago how he was in the press conference with England and Gareth Southgate, how he showed his maturity at such a young age. And, but now he talked to Chelsea TV again last night. He's talking to the media. He's proven himself. He's scoring goals. And I talked a little bit about this a couple of months ago. Mason Mount did so many good things last season, right? Under Lampard. But the thing that he just couldn't really do as well as they wanted him to do was finish. And it seems like he's gotten that click right now in these past couple of months. Of course, he started off the season brilliantly and he's continuing that run, which is why he's such a great player, great, great shout for Chelsea's player of the season. But I think now his maturity, but also his leadership is really showing through. We saw that with Gareth Southgate, how much he trusts him. It looks like he's going to be a Sherlock pick for the England Euro squad in the next couple of months. He's just been absolutely brilliant for this Chelsea team. And once again, when we need him to step up the most, he puts in an absolutely brilliant finish. I don't think people realize how hard it is because a lot of the commentators are saying the goalkeeper should have done better from there, from that angle. But at the same time, he has to turn Mbombe on his head, goes 180 degrees to the left, and then puts it into the bottom corner, just going back to this goal. I mean, it was absolutely brilliant from him. But I also I just want to get your thoughts on his leadership and how much mentally, but also He's just, he's proved himself on the field right now because there were some doubters last season and there still are some doubters, but I don't know how there are anymore because week in and week out, he just continues to prove himself. And now he's shown that in the press as well. Yeah, some, some very, very good points about Mason there. Um, where do I start with him? I think first and foremost, I mean, he, he is a manager's dream when it comes to players. You know, I think that, I think probably is now apparent to everyone in terms of, the way that he he sort of went to the desk, became their player of the season, obviously was exceptional at Derby. He's come back into the Chelsea side now and under two managers with two very contrasting styles and two very contrasting philosophies, has excelled and been one of Chelsea's best players. And I think probably at the moment, in terms of performance level, is Chelsea's is Chelsea's best player. Um, and we're now starting to see that with, with England as well. And I think with, with Mason, you know, the... The thing that, that people will, will need to, at least people who are doubting, will have to start understanding, you know, he is the best player in training. He has the best mentality in training. He executes manager's instructions to a T. Um, you know, he, the intensity with which he plays the game, the ability for him to press and to harry for 90 minutes. And then you add in the fact that he is such a technically fantastic player. He's so well-rounded in so many different areas. Um and he has that little bit of spark that I think, as you're saying, in terms of mentality, in terms of uh, leadership, he has that little bit of aggression, has that little bit of, uh, of, of, of spikiness to his game as well. You can see it sometimes 
when when he zooms in and he like does a little raised eyebrow, you see him chirping at players and stuff like that. Like he has that little bit part to his game as his well, you know, game as well. And you know, goals like last night, I think, are only going to accelerate. I think the opinion that people should have of him. That turn that you had there was so eerily reminiscent of Zinedine Zidane. It's ridiculous. Zidane was famous for doing that sort of drag back and kind of caught, you know, kind of 180 circle on the ball. Um, the way he turned the, the defender. Um, and then not only that, the confidence to take the shot early. I think that was the important thing because, you know, I, I'm streaming at my television for him to, you know, carry the ball to the goal and then sort of try and do something. His turn sort of looked up and gone bang, you know, bottom corner. Um, and it's a fantastic finish. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the combination of, of his ability to to play kind of as this this sort of modern new number 10, number eight is is going to, I think, really lend himself to to a lot of success. You know, I, I think he will start for England in the Euros. All this sort of questions that people are having about comparisons or you know, James Madison or Grealish or whoever versus Mason Mount. It's probably going to be Mason plus one. You know, one or the other guys are going to be fighting for position because, sure, some of them may have a little bit more source and may have a little bit more obvious, you know, skill and creativity. But I don't think any of them can do any of the stuff that Mason can do off the ball um, and certainly don't have his, his ability to receive and his mid, midfield skill set. Um, so I do sort of certainly look at him and think that, you know, in terms of Chelsea and the way he's playing at the moment, I, I don't think we have a better player. Um, and I think he's so key to the way we play, both in terms of his his energy, his ability to, to set the press, his ability to, to be this kind of defensive lunatic in many capacities, the amount of work that he gets through. Um, but then it's it's the quality that you're seeing now in these games. I think back to the Atletico Madrid, Madrid game, particularly the away game, you know, the way that he was carrying the ball, the way that he was receiving the ball, you know, his passing and stuff like that. And yeah, you know, certainly I think with him, he has, I think he has all of the golf clubs to make the kind of passes that you want in the final third. Like he's got all of the, the short game, the long game, the mid game to, to find all those different kind of passes. Um, but it's just me a question now, I think, of working with a coach like Tuchel who can help refine that decision-making process. The only, I said, the only criticism, and it's not really a criticism, um, it's just more of an observation of Mason, is that I think he's so 100 mile an hour and he's such a, a fast player that sometimes I think that he needs to slow down his thought process just a tiny bit to make sure that his decision-making at the end is, is there. Because as soon as that decision-making gets to a level that is, you know, sort of, uh, I suppose, tantamount to the rest of his ability, he's going to be such a ridiculous player. You know, he's already, I think, one of the leading players in the Premier League. He's already one of Chelsea's best players. But when you add in, if he has a, a more consistent output, and I, I say consistent, because if you look at statistics, he is one of Chelsea's, or he actually, he's actually one of the Premier League's most creative players in terms of all, any kind of metric that you want to pick out. But I think in terms of, of maybe being more obviously creative in terms of to the eye, I think once he has that decision-making down, then he's going to be very, very dangerous. But yeah, you know, it was an absolutely exceptional goal. I think it kind of it kind of summed him up as a player because I look at the Chelsea team at the moment and I often struggle to think of players who can drag the team to, to a result. And I think certainly some of the goals that Mason has scored um, are a little, a little bit reminiscent of Frank Lampard and that Lampard could be not having a quiet game, but having a sort of a good game. But then he would come up with one moment of brilliance, score a goal, and then that, that would drag Chelsea too. You know, towards a win. Um, I look at Mount, particularly the Porto game, you look, you look at games against Liverpool, for example, where he really had that little moment of, of being a difference maker. Um, and I think, yeah, that is, for me, where he is heading to the play. He's heading into the, the, you know, maybe not, probably nowhere near being Eden Hazard difference maker level at the moment, but in terms of a young player who's in his early 20s, you know, he's sort of developing into a difference maker for Chelsea. So, 
yeah, mentality is fantastic. His leadership, I think, is is starting to come to the fore now that now that he is sort of recognizing that he is an important key figure at Chelsea. Um, I just think that certainly you can see the way that Tuchel has now kind of realized what he has on his hands in Mason. You know, he dropped him for the first game, maybe maybe realized that was a mistake, has literally played him in every important game ever since, has only rested him when he's needed to have a rest and when he's, you know, generally rested players. Um, but I think Tuchel now realizes that at the moment this Chelsea side runs through Mason Mount. Um, and for us to get the best out of him and the best out of the team, you know, you need to put Mount centrally. You need to have Mount as sort of the, the pivotal figure in the team. And the one thing I say, and this isn't meant to be shots at Kai Havertz or, or Timo Werner, but Chelsea had an, you know, well over £100 million worth of talent on the pitch in the final third last night in terms of the front three. You know, if you didn't know that uh, Chelsea had, had bought Havertz and Werner, I'm assuming that most people would have said that Mason Mount was the you know, £70, £80 million pound player. So you know, it says a lot that Chelsea have got this kind of super talent with him. And I think he's going to be... Um, someone who gets even better, if that's even, you know, fathomable at this point in time. But I, th- I think he has the capacity to get even better over the next two, three years. You need to remember, and just, just to, to round this point out, Frank Lampard wasn't the superstar player he was until his mid-20s. You know, Mason is, I think, 22. He's got two, three seasons for me to start reaching a level where he becomes, you know, in the conversation for one of the best midfielders in Europe. At the moment, he's, he's outplaying lots of people on the European stage. He's outplaying a lot of people in the Premier League. I always need to bring people back to the fact that he is just 22. You know, he's, he's got time to develop. He's got time to improve. You know, Frank Lampard at West Ham compared to Frank Lampard in the middle of his Chelsea career, it's almost like two different players. So you know, let him have the time to develop. Let him work on those little bits to refine his game because I do think that he's a superstar in the making. And let's be honest, he was England's best player, right? On international yeah. duty, he was playing in every single game. He was scoring goals left and right. And now that's something that he's added to his game recently but I also just think his character like you mentioned a little bit earlier is just a manager's dream you quoted it he plays so hard every single game he gives his 100 percent and he loves playing in every single game and we don't have to rest him a lot because he has so much energy but once again he was the best attacking player on the pitch for Chelsea yesterday and like you said that's no there's respect to Timo Werner and Kai Havertz but right now he's the engine in Chelsea's tank and going forward He's going to be our most important player probably for these next couple of seasons. I'm waiting to get Mason Mount's jersey because I think hopefully in the next couple of years he might get a different number because for right now he's just been absolutely <laughs> brilliant. But I just I need to get my hands on those Mason Mount jerseys in the next couple of years. Moving on to Ben Chibble because this is a guy who's gotten a couple of criticism over the past couple of weeks, right? He hasn't played in many games for Thomas Tuchel. who's kind of bouncing back for the minutes with Emerson and, of course, Mark Salonzo. But he gets his goal. It's now, of course, not the best goal that you'll see in the world, but I just think for his confidence wise going forward, this is going to be so huge for Ben Showa because on a stage of the Champions League quarterfinal to score a goal like this for a club that you've always loved in Chelsea, you saw the smile on his face afterwards with Mason Mount in the locker room. You saw the smile on his face when he jumped up and did a celebration after he scored a goal. And I think other than that, he actually had a pretty solid game yesterday. He won seven ground duels. And I think his passing was pretty good yesterday, but going down a left wing back flank, he's learned this position and it's probably better for him. He's talked a little bit about this. It's something I really like about Ben Shubo is he's very open. He talks about what he's good at, what he has to get, what he has to improve at. And this left wing back role will probably be good for him going forward in England squad, right? Because of Gary Southgate's tactics. And he's proven that he can adapt to a position like this. And he gets his goal in the Champions League quarterfinal. I mean, how huge of a goal is this for his confidence going forward? Yeah, it was uh, it was massive, I think. Um, probably, you know, in terms of the past couple of weeks, it's probably one of Ben's best performances. Um, 
I think in general, even even without the goal, you have to say that he he played particularly well. And I think you know for for people that maybe see the the kind of wing back roles as sort of fairly interchangeable with fullbacks, you know the, the skill set to be a successful wing back versus a fullback is they're actually quite different in terms of the requirements that you have. Um, you know you you almost you almost want to be more of a winger to to have a, a good um, kind of wing back skill set. You know your ability to to play 1v1 with people, to take people on 1v1, you're, you're naturally higher up the pitch when you receive the ball. A lot of fullbacks, typically in a back four, and this is one of Chilwell's strengths, is actually supporting from deeper, making deeper runs. When you're a wing back, you're naturally 10, 15, 20 yards you know, further up the pitch in terms of when you receive the ball. Almost a little bit more like a midfielder and a winger rather than a, than a fullback. So I do think that there's an adaptation. It's also something that I've seen on, on the other side with Reese James is that adaptation to being... Um, sort of more of a, a traditional wing back and being a little bit more offensively minded um, rather than sort of that, that fullback position where I think both of them are better sort of kind of combining and, and joining the attack from deeper areas. So I think Ben's taken a little bit of time to adjust to it. But yeah, in terms of sort of the, the performance and in terms of the goal in particular, you know, the anticipation that the, the kind of the desire to get there and pounce on the mistake, I think was really, really good to see. Um, you know, obviously, he, we, we know that he's quick. But then the, the composure, I think, to, to them round the goalkeeper. You know, when I heard him talking about the goal, he was like, should I put it in the near post? Should I do this? Should I do that? And then I kind of just end up round the goalkeeper. And that was sort of, you know, kind of how it happened. Um, but huge, I think huge for his confidence. Huge, obviously, going into the into the second leg. Um, you know, two away goals. And I, I know it, it's sort of only something that, 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 that kind of rarely matters in these games. And I think there's, there's probably only been, from memory, two Chelsea games that have had this away goals rule actually matter you know in the past 10 years or so so it's not like it's it's a super uh, super frequent occurrence but having the you know the, the two goal cushion particularly with Porto having some of their better players coming back is big um and yeah I just think in terms of yeah as you say in terms of his sort of confidence for the rest of the season I think scoring a big important goal in a big European tie is going to be one of those things that hopefully kind of works as a little bit of a, a springboard for him to to sort of get back to some of that early season form that we saw because I think you know it's easy to forget that how long the season is. I think Chilwell, probably, you know, the first couple of months he was here, looked like an absolutely fantastic signing in terms of left back. You know, had a had a bit of a dip, had an injury, obviously change manager, change of system hasn't helped him. But if he can get back to something close to his best, you know, in terms of being able to support the attack and also being decent defensively, then, you know, that, that's a huge bonus for Chelsea coming towards the end of the season. And, you know, as much as Marcus Alonso is the kind of the default king of the left, you know, the left wing back position at Chelsea, um, I do think his, I think his lack of mobility and his lack of athleticism, which showed up against West Brom, and particularly on one of the goals, where it looked like he was, you know, carrying a 250-pound sandbag on his back um, as he was trying to get back. I think hopefully Ben has that, obviously, you know, in terms of uh, has that in, in, in his favour. Um, but yeah, I do, I do hope that he can continue this form going forward because yeah, you know, it's it's you know, tricky to, to learn this new position, to learn this new role, particularly coming back from an injury and then having a new manager and all the sort of stuff that he's having to, you know, he's having to deal with. Um, yeah, and it obviously will set him up for, for potentially being the, the starting left wing back or at least competing to be the starting left wing back for England in the summer as well. So lots of things going in his favour. And yeah, I think in terms of the goal, fantastically well taken, great anticipation. And uh, as I say, I think it really sets us up quite nicely for the, for the second leg. I think this is an opportunity for him to really start getting that run of games and kind of, I don't want to say cementing that left wing back roll down, but making sure that he is the player on the pitch for these really important games. And Thomas Tuchel, it's why I trusted him against 
Porto last night, and it's probably why he's going to trust him going forward, especially in that second leg. But real quick, before we get going on the podcast, I think last night was a symbol of how much we've improved just in the short span of time in our clinical finishing, right? I think that Chelsea, it's been a talking point over the past couple weeks about how we've got a lot of chances over the top, how we've got a lot of opportunities in the box. We just can't seem to put the ball in the back of the net. So last night with two clinical goals, especially we talked about Mason Mount's goal, but also Chilwell's goal. Do you think this gives us some good mojo going forward? Because Sugo's talked a lot about how we need to be better clinical wise. And we took our two opportunities because Porto talked a lot about after the game and, and rightly so, because the stats said the same thing that, you know, Chelsea only had six shots to Porto's 12. Porto had more shots on target. But Chelsea, at the end of the day, were the more clinical team. And ties like this, it really matters. And last night was hopefully a big stepping point and where we want to go going forward. Yeah, I think the, you know, the the pattern of this game, I think, has been quite familiar this season in that I don't think Chelsea always need to create 500 chances to, to win a game. Um you know, I look back to certainly games like Liverpool and, and there have been a couple of other season, even the, the Atletico Madrid game um, where, where Giroud scored. We don't have to create an enormous amount of, of chances to win games. And I think sometimes, certainly when you know, your your opponent or let's say in Porto this case have had like twice as many shots as you have. Um, and not only that, they, they've had, they were in some pretty good areas. It's not like they're shooting from like 30, 40 yards out. Um, there is, I think, a little bit of a, a kind of grudging sort of shoulder shrug in terms of how have we lost the game, particularly 2-0. You know, I think they will be quite upset with that scoreline when it comes to comes to bear. You know, you have really from their perspective a, a sort of an in, individual moment of brilliance from, from one player in Mason Mount, you know, scoring that goal, the turn, and then maybe the slightly unexpected early shot that he took. And then with you know Ben Ben Chilwell really capitalizing on a, an error that you cannot make at this level. You can't that you can't sort of dawdle on the ball and then and then sort of lose possession when you're sort of the last man. So I think from that perspective, the, the goals that they've conceded, I can see where they're coming from in terms of being a little bit uh, agitated about it. Um, and I think, again, you know, for, for Chelsea fans' perspective, everyone's saying, like, looking forward to the semi-final, we're looking forward, you know, to the next game. Porto, is just, you know, they're, they're getting their, go- their goal scores back in the next game. Um, you know, I think that they, they've shown that they can be dangerous, they can produce moments, they can create chances. And now if they default to the two players that are probably a little bit better in terms of scoring, you know, it's, it's not for me, at least in my head, it's not a procession in the next game. It's something that we have to be mindful of. Um, you know, I, I do sort of feel certainly when it came to the, the types of chances they were creating, we have to, I think, look at a way of, of being able to control the game through possession. I think, you know, the way that we've played really maybe prior to the past two games where we've been pressed really relent- kind of relentlessly, um, and you can sort of see, I think, why why Tuchel wants to have the ball and dominate the ball in the fashion that he does is to stop these sort of a, this sort of volume of chances and, and this ability for the, the other team to create. So I do feel that you know there, there is, I think, you know, maybe some tweaks need to be made in terms of how we kind of retain the ball and how we build up from the back, how we circulate possession. Um, and you know, for anyone who is is, you know, I don't know, maybe uh, unfamiliar with with how we keep possession and how we sort of defend with the ball. You know, I think if you look at last night's game and you look at the game West Brom and then maybe look at, I don't know, the Liverpool game and the Atletico Madrid game, the level of possession, the level of control that we had in those sort of two different types of games, that is what Tuchel means when defending with the ball. He, he wants to control the game. He wants to, to take the sting out of the game to reduce the tempo. He wants to play in a controlled and, and a very calm and calculated manner. Um, so we do, I think, need to look at how we can 
implement that if Porto and if teams are going to start really, really pushing us in the first 30 minutes um, because we did look quite disrupted and we did look quite, well, maybe chaotic is too strong a word, but there was certainly, it was very dysfunctional, I'd say, in the first half. So, yeah, I, you know, I can see certainly where Porto are coming from, from their kind of stats-based argument that, you know, maybe that they were a little bit unlucky. But, you know, in terms of Champions League football, that is the difference, you know, two moments of quality or one moment of quality or one mistake and you get punished. And that, that is, you know, the difference between maybe playing in the Premier League or playing in the FA Cup versus playing at the top level. They may be able to make some of those mistakes or, you know, have 12 shots and the other team have six and they'll comfortably win 4-0. Um, but at the top level, I actually say, you know, you can't account for the fact that Mason Mount is going to produce that bit of skill and you can't account for the fact that your defender is going to completely and utterly mess up as a last man. So, yeah, they might be hard done by, but, you know, that's that's Champions League football. That's how it works. Rookie, before we end up the Champions League part of this episode, I think that going forward, this two-goal away goal, it's, like you mentioned, it's going to be kind of interesting to see how this factors in the neutral venue. But I think the two away goals, Shibble's goal, I think, was so important just to give us a little bit of a cushion, right, going into the second leg. But I want to talk a little bit about the top four race because – since the last time we've talked, we slipped down to fifth place behind West Ham United, who have been the sensation of the Premier League season. We got teams behind us like Tottenham, Liverpool starting to get on a little bit of a run. And then we can't forget about Everton, who are only four points behind us with the game in hand. Had a really bad draw against Crystal Palace, which helped us out a lot last weekend. But there's teams that are gunning for these top four positions, right? Leicester's starting to fade away like they did last season. What are your thoughts on the top four race going forward? Because for Chelsea, there's certainly some more teams in the picture that are here now gunning for those top four spots than it looked like only a couple of weeks ago when we last talked. Yeah, this is uh, this is going to be the interesting crunch part of the season now. Um, it, it pains me that West Ham are still here. <laughs> um, you know, I think the fact that they they played so well without Declan Rice was slightly mm. alarming. I felt that they maybe would not fall to pieces, but certainly not play as well as they did do. Um, and I think as well, you know, I'm looking a little bit at Liverpool have now kind of picked up a bit of form and started playing well again. Um, actually, say Everton are quite close as well. Um, I don't know. I think that's that's the easiest way to answer that is that we have, you know, we have a fairly on paper okayish run of fixtures for the next couple of games, but these are the kind of games I expect us to struggle in more so than the you know the teams who are slightly better. Mm. Looking at sort of Fulham and maybe again if they sit back and ask Chelsea to break them down, you know, I think those games are tougher for us than teams who are looking to come and play and then we can we can sort of dominate the ball and then sort of play against them and, and actually play a bit more freely. Um, for Chelsea, I think that it's going to border down to two things. I think we have to aim to finish above Leicester. I think that is absolutely crucial. Um, and I think we absolutely have to beat West Ham when we play them. Um, beating West Ham and, yeah, you know, finishing above Leicester. I think we play Leicester, don't we, towards the end of the season? Yeah, we play okay. Leicester on the second to last match week. Yeah, so you could say that I think those two games, they are absolutely, mm. at least on my calendar, they are must-win games. Yeah. Um, because as, as much as it's a points thing, you know, if you beat West Ham, it's a six point swing, same with Leicester, for example. Yep. Um, and I think that those two will be pretty critical, but the, the thing is we need to be in a position to, to strike by the time we get to those games. Yep. So Palace, and I think we've got Brighton or Fulham, someone like that yep. soon. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we have, we have to win these games. Mm. It's not a question of, of, you know, um, being content that we've, we've scraped a one nil or that it's a nil nil or whatever, you know, we really have to go into these games with the mindset that they have to be won. Um, 
Now, if we if we go into let's say we hit the Leicester game and we're in third place, I'd be fairly confident. Um, but I think it's it's largely going to be about obviously the the West Ham and the the Leicester games. I think six points there. I think you know you'd be hard pressed to argue that we wouldn't finish in the top four. Um, but I mean, this season has been so peculiar. It's it's really difficult to say. We could lose the next three and then win win out. You know, knowing Chelsea, for example. Um, but I mean, the the only thing that absolutely remains and is absolutely true about this is that I think we we certainly have to finish in the Champions League if we have any ambition to sign the the sort of types of players that we've been linked to, um, whether it's an Erling Haaland or a Romelu Lukaku or whoever it's going to be in terms of those sorts of profile of players. There's no way that you're attracting them in the Europa League. And that, that has to be the mindset of, of the club is that Champions League football is something that we, we must, you know, own kind of in terms of all, all sort of uh, realms of possibilities, we must, must, must finish in, in the top four. Or, you know, the better one would be to win the Champions League. But I'm, I'm banking maybe it's a little bit easier to to, to sort of win the, uh, the, the sort of the relevant games in the Premier League. But Champions League football is an absolute must. Whether we get it, I'm not as confident as I was a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that's, I think, I said primarily because... You know, the quote-unquote easy games we have coming up, I think, are going to be quite tricky just by the nature of how we play against teams who are not that, uh, not you know, not, not as good in terms of uh, their, their kind of play style and their ambition. Um, and yeah, I think it would be not really useful. I think we, we obviously, I would just have to win games now. And I think as much as people want to focus on the performance and start, you know, micro-analyzing the style of play and all this sort of stuff, I, I don't care if we play 10 defenders and win 1-0 every game. I really don't anymore. Um you know, it's, it's got to the point in the season where there's only so much coaching you can do. There's only so much sort of style you can impart into a team. You know, I think we saw against West Brom, that we, these players still have the capability of doing that sort of performance or dropping that kind of performance. So I, I'm maybe sort of, uh, you know, taking the magic wand a little bit away from Tuchel's hand in terms of what he's done so far. But, you know, bouncing back in the Premier League on Saturday is a big thing for me. And I think, as I mentioned, those two key games, West Ham and Leicester, win both of them. I think we've got a good shot. Um but, you know, our running is, is pretty difficult. And, you know, as, as things go and as, as things have been in the past, it's going to be one of those that could come down to the last two games or so. Hopefully it doesn't come out to the last day like it did last Hopefully season. Not. It's pretty insane how just one bad result can change this table. It's been a talking point the whole season. It's been a reoccurring theme of the whole season. One point, one team drops points and the other sometimes take advantage. And Chelsea's point of view, luckily enough, Everton didn't quite take advantage. But if you look at these run-ins, a bunch of these teams – who are playing for these Champions League spots coincidentally just in these last eight games are playing one another, right? It's just so crazy how this season one result can really take your confidence or take the fans, I guess, confidence down a little bit like we have been over just the past couple of weeks. But if you look at these schedules, Leicester has a really tough run in. I mean, like a really, really tough run in. You look at their last couple of games. They play at Tottenham Hotspur in the last day of the Premier League season. They, of course, play us. They have to travel to the Etihad as well. We have to travel to the London Stadium, a place that we haven't really had the great success with the past couple of years, right? So it's going to be a super tough game to beat West Ham United. But, of course, we have to beat Leicester City. Quick before we end the episode tweets, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Talk a little bit about your new podcast, London is Blue Network, because you just released your first episode of the Kins Road podcast. It was absolutely brilliant. So talk a little bit about what you're looking forward to recording in the next couple of months for the podcast, but also some of your other work that you're doing right now for the Chelsea community. Hey, Shane. Yeah, thanks for the uh, for the tip and appreciate the uh, the comments. Yeah. Um, so I think from the, the podcasting standpoint, the, the first one was released uh, maybe a week ago now. Um, feedback has been like mind-blowingly good and overwhelmingly positive. Like it's, 
you know, you, you always release something and you always hope that it's going to be well received. But then when people really sort of have appreciated what you've done, it, it kind of makes it all worthwhile. Um, you know, very kind of, I think the, 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 the thing that I'm trying to do is, is not create, I would say, kind of week to week or, or sort of time dependent Chelsea sort of content. Um, I think there are lots of very good um, podcasts that look at kind of the week to week things at Chelsea. So it was kind of tapping into a little bit of the, the ESPN style, like 30 for 30 kind of content. Um, you know, I love I love those sort of long form podcasts and that whole style and, you know, the amount of research and, and time that goes into producing them. I think kind of sort of shows in the in the sort of end result. So that is kind of the, the idea going forward. And I think certainly, you know, the next one that I'm recording is a real kind of deep dive into Chelsea's academy, um, looking at sort of how it was established and the, the structure. Um, I've got some pretty, pretty unique and some pretty cool guests coming on as well. I think Shane, Shane knows who they are, but I'll keep them in the wraps for the time being. Um, to sort of discuss the, you know, the, the, the sort of pathway of, let's say, like a, an eight-year-old entering the club into becoming potentially a, a Mason Mount calibre player. And then kind of in the future, you know, there, there's so much stuff to do. I mean, we're looking at sort of a, a kind of a March Madness style podcast to determine the, the or scientifically determine the best Chelsea kit, which I think that, that's going to be pretty good. So there's going to be some sort of pan of guests on there. Um, you know, a few more solo pods. I think people have asked me to look at sort of the corporate side of the club so to actually really go into sort of how Chelsea make money, the corporate the strategy and all things like that as well. Um, yeah, there's there's so much sort of on the table. And I think that the beauty of it is that there's there's no real focal point of, of you know, of, of content. So it's not, they're not always going to be sort of super serious podcasts. Some of them will be a bit more lighthearted um, and a little bit of variety. And I said the aim is sort of every four weeks to sort of drop a, uh, a kind of a new episode. But the, yeah, the next one will be hopefully, I think, towards the end of April. Um probably recording this week and next week. And then my fantastic editor, Jake, will be uh, putting it all together like he did the last one. But yeah, as I say, that one, I think it's going to give it a unique, I think, insight into the into the academy. Um, yeah, so that, that, that'll be the second. And then after that, there's, there's so much sort of happening and so much variety. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. And in terms of other stuff as well, I mean, yeah, I have a, a weekly sort of newsletter, which I'm writing now. Um, every Monday in your, your mailboxes sort of kicks off your week. Um, it's sort of comprised of like a couple of articles. There's a, there's some look at some of the older players at Chelsea, some of Chelsea's history. Um, I tend to try and throw as many YouTube videos in there as possible. So everyone likes a good YouTube video on a Monday to start their week. Um, do like an Academy spotlight. Um, what else is there? There's, 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 there's a ton of stuff in there. Um, but it, again, it's something that's being sort of super well received. Um, you know, and in terms of the, the sort of the, the, the pricing and stuff, I think it's about four or $5 a month but then that normally that gets you about twenty thousand words for me a month which is not too bad so uh yeah it's uh something that i'm really enjoying doing and i think in terms of, again the feedback is is positive and everyone who is a newsletter subscriber has access to a special kind of server on discord um and then they can ask me i, I do a, a mailbag as well once a week as well so football questions chelsea questions non-chelsea questions non-football questions um all that sort of stuff is is answered in there as well so you get a mailbag on top well, thank you once again, Tweed, so much for coming on the podcast. It was absolutely brilliant talking to you once again. Dan, I'm imploring all my listeners right now to stop the episode. Go give Tweed's this new podcast subscription because the great thing about your podcast, right, Tweed's, is like these listeners can go listen to your episodes anytime that they want, right? Because it's yeah. not the day-to-day coverage, but you produce such great stories. I love the analogy to the 30 to 30 stories because those are absolutely brilliant. Right, those law informed podcasts. Yeah. 
And you can listen to them anytime, like I mentioned, which is why I'm really looking forward to this podcast you're producing. Of course, go check out his work for London's Blue podcast. His written work is also really brilliant. And you get a really cool insight into Chelsea's Academy. So I'm excited to see what you have to say about it in the next couple of weeks in your next edition of the podcast. Once again, Joe, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Say, Rick, before we go, where can my listeners find you on social media? Yeah, on uh, on socials. I think I'm at Joe Tweedy on Twitter. Um, I've got a few people that have tried to add me on Instagram, and I should probably apologise in advance that that's the only platform really that I keep pretty private. Um, so that's sort of family and friends and stuff like that. So I don't really use Instagram that much anyway, but mostly um, you can find me on, on Joe Tweedy on Twitter. Um, am I on anything else? No, unfortunately, I don't have a TikTok account at the moment, but uh, we might get there one day. Thank you once again, Tweed, so much for coming on the podcast. As always, you guys can find the podcast at Laugh from Matthew Harden Podcast on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Sheen Holcomb13 from time to time. Make sure to give the podcast a five-star Apple Podcast rating interview because it really does help us grow our podcast to the soccer community. Go as well. Give a five-star review to Tweed's new podcast because I cannot wait for the content he produces in these next couple of months. Community. Stay safe, Chelsea fans. Until next time, up the Chelsea.